A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the Lorehounds One Shots, where the Lorehounds, your guides to Minnesota nice. I'm David. I'm John, and this is our season wrap coverage for season five of Fargo uh, by FX on Hulu. Hey, you know, pod- can, I, can I just say no? Yes. We have to. We have to say this. Stop okay. adding these. You know, <laughs> FX by on Hulu by Paramount on HBO. Stop it. Stop it. Networks. <laughs> it's on Hulu. <laughs> But FX is on linear TV. That's the thing. I don't care. <laughs> L- I don't linear care. linear TV is not dead yet. It's I'm not dead. dead yet. All right. Well, in this podcast, <laughs> anyway, we're going to talk about our overall thoughts and feelings for the season, mostly focusing on the final episode, I think. At the end of the podcast, we're going to talk about our upcoming podcast schedule. And we'll also throw in some information about our Patreon and all the different benefits that we offer if you cho- choose to join us in our community. If you don't want to join us, you can still help us out by leaving a reading and review on Apple Podcasts. The reviews especially, for some reason, seem to get eyes on the podcast page and seem to help us climb the charts a little bit. So we appreciate them. It's all about engagement. And if you want to engage with us, uh, you can send emails to lorehounds at thelorehounds.com, or you can have a, head over to our website, and there you can use the voicemail feature or the contact form. We've also got a Discord, lots of friend, fun, friendly folks over there, and links for all of that stuff are in the show notes below. All right, John, let's get started. Indeed. We both have seen the entirety of season five of Fargo. We didn't do this one as full coverage, and you know, there's uh, scheduling real life wise, I'm kind of glad we didn't because it would have been difficult. But at the same time, I really kind of wish we had been able to do mm-hmm. the deeper coverage of this because this was a really impactful season of television. And I, I really feel that Noah Hawley has hit a new height for Noah Hawley for what he does. Mm. I don't know. How are you feeling about the the overall season? Yeah, I think it's great. I think mm-hmm. um, incredible. And you're fresh to Fargo. I am fresh to Fargo. I've not watched a Fargo before. This is my year of new franchise. I'm doing this. I'm doing True Detective where I'm hopping in. I'm coming in. Excellent. Cold, I guess. Not hot. But uh, and yeah, these two shows are very cold. Yeah, they are both pretty cold. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's great. I was, you know, I, I was waiting for the finale and 
last year, I feel like we had a year of like incredible seasons with terrible finales. Mm. And so my anxiety was going higher as we neared this finale. And then I watch it and it's much more than I thought it would be. Absolutely. There's no way to predict where this episode would have ended up, I think. I I think really what surprised and delighted me, we like to say that, is that I'm 17 minutes into the episode, I think it was. Mm -hmm. The main plot has resolved. Right. There's 30 minutes left in the episode. (laughs) Where is this going to go? What is going to happen? Yeah, I, I literally clicked up on my room when I was like, I feel like that was really short. Oh, there's a lot more. What are we going to do here? Mm-hmm. I could never have predicted this. It was so good. Uh, the characters were so well-developed, mm-hmm. and the arcs felt so earned. For example, Gator, that felt earned. It was a small step. It was not a big, you know, turn turn the leaf. Mm-hmm. It, was not, it was not him becoming a, an angel all of a sudden. Right. It was him doing something right. that was still a little bit selfish, and it was based in revenge, but it was doing the right thing in the moment. Right. And Juno Temple, I think, deserves multiple Emmys for this role. I the- Just the way she could change her facial expression... She came out of nowhere on this season. I was not expecting this. And when in, when episode one, when I watched it, I was like, huh, I don't know how I feel about this. She's like missing her accent. I don't know what's going on. Eh. And I had no idea that she had this depth and range and the ability to hold the screen in this way. was It was absolutely a revelation. Mm-hmm. Uh, an absolutely revel- uh, revelation that she has this kind of range is incredible. And the way that when she's talking to Munch in those last few scenes, oh, my Lord, the way that her expression changes from fearful to angry, mm-hmm. back to fearful, then to kind, cautiously kind, genuinely kind, stern mother, a tiny bit of fear again. <laughs> yeah. Stern mother right. showing a tiny bit of fear again, but then choosing kindness in the end. And that is probably what saves her family. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that that's something that AI couldn't do that. Right. That's, right. that's a human being showing human emotions. Mm-hmm. And that was just incredible. It was an incredible experience to watch it. It felt Honestly, I think that the the amazing thing about this is, and they even say this in the episode, you know, the action, it happens in a flash and then it's over, right? Yeah. You, you don't even realize it happened. That was less exciting than the scenes with Munch. Where action, you were just sitting on your edge of your seat waiting for what was going to happen next. Right. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I cut you off. The actual action yeah. was emotional and was conversational mm-hmm. and was domestic and was routine. And so much more uh, fulfilling and satisfying as opposed to just, oh, another shootout. I mean, how many shootouts and big explosion television right. and, and movies do we have? We, we, we've seen a lot of that. Right. But to have these two characters on the precipice with the stakes, with Scotty and uh, uh, oh, what's uh, what's his, her husband's name? I'm blanking. Wade. Wade. Thank you. Wayne. Sorry. Wayne. I, Wayne, I Wayne, Wayne. In the balance. Right. That's that's what was at, at balance there. That's what was at stake there. It was an, was so much more enjoyable than just some more shoot 'em up. Yeah, I I totally agree. 
Yeah. And I think that this show really challenges the way that we view media and challenges the tropes that we expect Mm -hmm. out of our media. So this is where I've been banging. uh, I I can't say banging the gong, but I've just highlighted this a few times that there are a couple of directors out there who are working right now who really have my attention, not only because they're delivering good entertainment, but that they're, they're saying something and they're, they're saying something that's culturally relevant. They're pushing the boundaries of the medium that they're working in. And they have this incredible ability to blend these um, sociological commentary with the medium without wagging fingers in our faces or, you know, hands on hips kind of things, but really taking up these ideas and toying with them and, and putting them, winding up, winding them up a little bit and then putting them into play and seeing how things go. So certainly um, Sam Esmail and Noah Hawley, and now I'm looking at Issa Lopez for True Detective because I think she's going to be another one of these directors that can do this. I'm not sold I, on her yet. I'm, okay, I'm waiting to be sold. Yeah, sure. I don't. I, I think that the show is good, but I think that the, this show does something on a different level so far. Right, because and I, that that show's not that deep in yet. No, it's not. I'm I'm uh, I'm putting internet points. I'm putting my personal uh, stash of internet points. That's on, fine. Uh, on, That's fine. On I'm, I'm not wager. betting against her. No, I, no, I no. hope yeah. that it rises to this level. I just I'm just not sure I'd put that in the same echelon. echelon. Mm-hmm. Man, I can't talk tonight. I can't, I wouldn't put it in the same category. You know what I mean? Sure. So, I for me, she's in there with these uh, with these other directors, uh, Fair and, and and taking us somewhere, pushing the medium, and saying something about culture and society while also being entertaining. I think that's the these are these little hallmarks for me that that are making that these shows interesting. I, I don't know that I would put true. I mean, true detective is a very, uh, has a different edge where uh, Fargo and, and what Sam Esmail does like with Mr. Robot and stuff like that, where they're slightly fantastical, but I suppose mm-hmm. true detective is as well. But anyway, let's, I, I don't, I don't want to debate. Yeah, I wouldn't right say now. that's less. I wouldn't say true detective is less fantastical than. No, that's Fargo. why I just retract. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just was pulling. I think back it's about that. the same. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, we we didn't get your hot takes yet. You got to give you got to give me your hot takes. I mean, you oh, kind of did a little bit, but yeah, oh, give me hot takes. You know, uh, on well, you know, not not to talk too much about True Detective, but I think did, no, 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 it was on our our second breakfast uh, exclusive podcast for our subscribers. We were talking about what we've been watching and and catching up, and I had some honorable mentions and some top ten catch ups for twenty twenty three, and I said that. I, I was kind of struggling with this, uh, what to do with Fargo season five, because it was a 2023 show, right? It's it, by our quote unquote rules, you know, when whatever year calendar year, the show starts in, it belongs in that year. I almost so, feel like we should revise that to be, if it ends in the year. That's weird though, because so many shows. And, yeah. Okay. Well, but, then, but how, how are you going to judge a show if you haven't seen the end? That's, that's the heart. Yeah, exactly. And I think the ending is more important than the beginning. Hmm. You know, nothing that starts in mid December is ever going to win our top 10. That's unless a very good we point. do it for the following year. That's a very good point. 
I think we should seriously consider this idea and, and see where it takes us. So what I've done is I've put Fargo, I scored Fargo with my <laughs> obscure ranking system and it ties with The Last of Us for last year. So what I could do is I could just leave that as a, you know, floating there. I don't actually have to change my list. I can just leave it as that sort of in that tie position, but then I can score it for 2024 and we can kind of play this out. We can see how this works. And I don't, are there any other shows that have bridged? There has to be. I know that there are some, I think Mm. I didn't, I didn't watch the curse, but I think the curse carried over. Probably. Um, couple others i but will not anyway. watch the curse so it's not going okay. on my list but <laughs> right it's not even on my radar but anyway back to my hot take um the show really knocked my socks off i was very nervous going in on the first episode second episode i was like uh-huh okay and then we just picked up steam from there and mm-hmm. i think Maybe it was the John Hamm walking one-er shot. We know where Roy Tillman is walking. That that was one of the big moments. I think the puppet show was another really big moment for me. The debate stage. I'm just trying to think of all of the the the, the um, scenes that really stick out in my mind. Mm-hmm. The uh, home invasion scene with the masks, particularly not anything necessarily about the action, just the visuals that they had. So, um, yeah, the, the, so each of the, as these different memorable scenes are occurring, I'm, I'm going, wait, I, I already peaked, you know, this, is this not the, was that not the peak? Was it, was I not? Uh, uh, already like, are, are, aren't we already where the highest we can go on this? And he kept pushing the boundary and pushing the boundary and his ability to really call out modern or current concurrent social things that are going on and, and actually point right at them. But when a lot of shows do that, it's, you know, that two on the nose, uh, effect can mm-hmm. really bring the the tone of the show down. But in this, he had the ability to do that and not lose us in that. And, and the story kept rolling and it, it, I don't know how to explain it because I don't think anybody's really done it this way before. And so I just think that's a master stroke of being able to do this social commentary stuff. Um, in this fantastical thing. And then when, you know, we throw in the whole, you know, the events are true and, you know, the names have been changed, that whole thing that really triggers the, um, you know, (laughs) this is actually, you know, objects may appear closer. You know, this, this is one of those statements that's sort of nonsensical in a way that tricks your, your brain into perceiving what you're going to get in the episode, uh, differently. Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of at a loss because my my thoughts are all over the place. The last twenty minutes were absolutely incredible. The um, some might say that the prescription to what ails us is oversimplistic, but I don't think so. I think it's it's right on point. Yeah, and and I don't think that the message was that will solve all your problems. No, but no. the message is take one step in the right direction. Exactly. At a time. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it it starts with a small thing, 
Yeah. It always starts with this small A delicious thing. biscuit. It looked great. <laughs> it looked very I'll tell good. you a secret. I put milk in them. I was like, man, that's that's funny. That's good comedy. <laughs> there was a lot of really subtle comedy in this. Brilliant. Yeah. So so my hot take is, is this is going to, you know, if it if it's on last year's ranking, it's at the number four, tied in number four slot. And it almost might, on. I, I, I'm a little wary of Regency bias. Um but I mean, it's certainly in the top five and then it's, it's going to score, it's automatically going to score that high for a 2024 show. So we'll I you got, you it. got a lot of heavy hitters this year. Probably we do. It's going to be tough. I mean, the, the whole top 10 could be full of, uh, exceptional shows. The, I really love the Fargo franchise. I really love what Noah Hawley is doing and saying he's an author as well as a, as a television producer, uh, and writer. And I'm really interested in in what he's doing and what he did in this season in, for all of these different reasons. And so I felt incredibly satisfied with this season of television. I was delighted. I was surprised. I was entertained. I was moved. I laughed at absolutely like when Wayne <laughs> clinks the glass of soda, which uh, who was it? Somebody in our mm-hmm. Discord posted that that gif. I think it was Gnarls. Um, it's now an emoji in our server. Oh. It was so wonderful. It was absolutely so wonderful. So yeah, I'm I'm just gushing about the show in in a sort of mildly ridiculous kind of way. So that's my hot take. It was there great. You go. Well, I think we can go from our hot takes right into these themes. You know, okay. Um, something that I wanted to talk about, sort of. I'm I'm going to start off us off with like a light, fun one, kind of. Okay. And because it goes right into that beer clink scene. And I wanted to talk about this idea of like... So it was a pop. It was a pop clink. A pop, sorry. <laughs> anyway. Is it I don't, pop I don't or do soda? Minnesota nice. Or I do Coke. New York. Um, so anyway, I, I wanted to go into this idea of like what makes a man. Okay. And I think that this show asked that question. And this I, I'm going to use these as short shorthand terms that I hate when they're used in a serious context. Uh-huh. Alpha and beta male. Right. right. Okay. Right. When when someone starts talking in that, I immediately go, "I don't like you." <laughs> but big flag. I, I think that the show is playing with those two ideas with this dichotomy, right? Okay. And Roy clearly is a quote unquote alpha male. He's right. the guy who guns blazing, hits people, and where oh, he, you know hits yeah. women, and he disciplines everyone, and he's all about justice and and uh you know smoking cigars and being in his hot tub and making sure <laughs> Jaqueen <laughs> sees his privates when he comes out of the hot tub and and uh you know all the all this garbage and yet we have Dorothy's next husband Wayne who is extremely passive very kind very nice really just harmless in every way and in the end, Munch destroys a lot of the alpha male's life, right? It mm-hmm. destroys a lot of Roy Tillman's life. He uh, gives his son a lifelong disability and, and leads his son to betray him mm-hmm. in the end. Um, he, you know, kills a lot of his men. He, he really affects him poorly. And meanwhile, the one who defeats munch in a way is wayne i mean dot does it too but you notice that (laughs) 
Dot Rain's starts relentless. off yes, but Dot starts off really fearful and ready to fight. She is. She the tiger. goes she into tiger mode. Go. Yeah, exactly. Yep. She absolutely goes into tiger mode, and she you can see her tensing and ready to react, and you know to mm-hmm. push uh, to 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 push go to the uh, kitchen, go set the table, all that. Yep. Right. Yeah. And uh, or you know, and then to to leap out, and I'm sure she's already everything that he's told us about Dot in the season so far is that she's going to grab whatever object she can and she's going to absolutely be deadly with that. Well, you know, mm-hmm. de- not deadly, but she's going to do some serious harm. Right. And so the whole time I'm watching her locked in, I'm thinking, what's she thinking? Okay. Where's the telephone or where's the ice skater? Where's the hockey stick? Or, you know, can I use a boot? Um, mm-hmm. and, and that instantly had my uh, threat, you know, my, my flight or fight responses on mm-hmm. edge, ready to go. Like, okay, ready to go. Is this going to go down? It's going to go down. And, and it's not what happened. Right. So what happens is Wayne cannot read a room and <laughs> is just incredibly kind the entire time and constantly talking about nonsense. We saw that we saw a tiger at the zoo and all this <laughs> garbage and, He's getting him a pop and he's clinking with him. He gives him a little clink. Can we just, just for that moment, just from the editing where, you know, the hand comes in from, you know, the side of the frame and we see Sam Spurl there, you know, with his big ungangly hands, Mm -hmm. his sort of alien face hugger like fingers examining this weird orange thing. And then out of nowhere, dink. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Brilliant. It broke the tension in the absolutely most perfect way. And this family just living as a loving family, mm-hmm. constantly interrupting, a man has a code. And right. it's, it's, that, like, I never thought I'd laugh so hard at somebody just in in uh, complete stoic style mm-hmm. speaking about codes and debt and right. flesh yep. being taken. and right. It's just amazing. And my point with this is not that I want it, not that I want the words alpha and beta male to come to leave my mouth. Mm-hmm. But my point with it is, I think the idea that Noah Hawley is going for is that you can be strong without being violent and you can be a strong man without being macho. Right. 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 And because Wayne is not a macho man and that's okay. You know, he he was kind and that's what gave his wife the strength to be kind as well and to do and to end the cycle of violence. So, you know, we we talk a lot about um, narrative structure in our podcast. And one of the things that you've brought in a few times is, you know, humanity having these narrative structures. And there was, a, what was the book that you referenced a couple of times, humans or homo sapiens or something like that? Sapiens. Sapiens. Called. That's what it was. Yeah. And we have to have these sort of mythologies or these things that, that um, help us framework the world and, and move forward. And I think you're absolutely putting your finger on something that is something that we kind of have to deal with in in at least modern American culture, and I know not all of our listen, listeners are, are Ameri- American, but that this idea that you got to drive a Ford F-150 and you got to have a goatee and you got to wear, you know, muscle man shirts or whatever, like that's this 
hyper masculine thing. And it feels like it's getting more hyper. There's a, there's a, a, a rising tension in that uh, identity, that tribal identity of like being a really ma- masculine man. And that is a dominant narrative in our, our, in our cultural story. And we've always had, you know, not everyone fits into those molds, you know, no matter what the, the, the current modern culture looks like. But this idea that we can have more acceptable narratives for what our sex and gender roles uh, allow us to be. And I'm not even talking about uh, into, into the world of, of trans things, just as a, as a cishet male where I'm at, I don't want to drive a Ford F-150. Right. You know, I, I want to be kind. I've never driven near a Ford F-150 that did not make you want to scream at the way they're driving. <laughs> and I'm sorry if you drive. If you're listening to this podcast, driving your Ford F-150 right now, put your blinker on. <laughs> exactly. Right. That's all I have to say. Put your blinker on. Right. Anyway, I'm, I think I'm just sort of going down this road of I, I'm agreeing with you that there are, are more than one modalities. There are more than one narrative structures. And then if we go over and we look at somebody like Gator, who was wearing all the trappings of that, right? He had all the tactical gear. He had the, you know, the cool jackets and the backwards, you know, glasses and the, you know, haircut and the rock and roll posters on his wall mm-hmm. and stuff. But yet that was like a costume that didn't fit him. That there yeah. was something, there was and it something. It cost him a lot. It cost him so much. So, Will so you visit much. me in jail with cookies. The so so pivoting really quick to Gator a little bit more. I really appreciated the fact that Holly had Gator say that line because it was yeah maybe he didn't do something hugely heroic like take out his father what did he do he just said oh i you know there's a a tunnel back there which is enough that they needed to know and they'll probably turn state's evidence right and and they're gonna get a lot from him yeah i think i think gator will he'll do some jail time probably but i don't think he's gonna do you know life he's not gonna do a ton of jail time but the 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 idea that he resigned himself. He knew in his heart of hearts, and I think this is what's really special about this, in his heart of hearts, he knows what he did wrong and that he accepts his the consequences for his actions. He steps into the fact that, yep, I'm going to jail because I did bad shit. Well, he does, but I'll say he does it when he's already lost, right? Like but, he, but that's... He, he's yeah. had... He he has nothing left, right? He's he no, he's ha- nothing left. You know, nothing. not not that he has the ranch is seized. His stepmother, yeah, yeah, he has he has no house, no family, nothing. No, he's he has a disability and he has no money to deal with it, and he has a criminal record, so it's going to be hard for him to get employed, and it's it's just etc. 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 Yeah, it's it's just everything, everything crashing down on him, and it's kind of like you kind of feel bad for him just on a regular human level. But it's kind of hard to feel badly for someone who the last episode was saying, you like young girls, I'll mm-hmm. get you young girls. Right. You know what I mean? Like, as as long as he had any power, he would abuse it. He's only doing the right thing now because he has no power left. But it that's true. And I'm but I'm also saying that he's now accepting that he's accepting of he's not going to fight it. 
right? He's not going to worm his way out of it. He's not going to fight the, you know, the, the charges. He'll probably plead guilty to everything, right? And he'll turn state's evidence. But it's that small act, just like Dot offering the biscuit. It starts sure. with a small act. And in that moment of saying, visit me in jail is an acknowledgement that he knows that that is now his life uh, in, in terms of atonement uh, to society, to all of these other things. It's the first small step in him um, taking responsibility for all the evil that he perpetrated in the world. Sure. And I appreciate that Noah put that in. Yeah. That, that it gave us that one little, that cracked that little door of humanity in this guy who has otherwise been a shitbird the entire you know season of the show. That sort of brings me into another theme that I wanted to talk about, which is can we change who we are? Mm-hmm. You know, can we make that choice? You have Munch who is talking about how, you know, he ate the sin and then mm-hmm. it was only sin and he was stuck in this limbo. And, you know, we have the supernatural thing where he's been alive hundreds of years. He doesn't age, et cetera. And he doesn't sleep even, we find. Right. Mm hmm. But what Dot offers him, which nobody has ever offered him because Ugh. everyone's been afraid of him, Ugh, rightfully so, so beautiful. rightfully yeah. so, but what Dot offers him is a chance to change in the right direction, a chance mm-hmm. to be something else. And mm-hmm. we get the first smile from him all season. Right. And what a big smile. That was so, it was such a joy to have him <laughs> do that. And when that was the last shot, I was like, all right, that's a good last shot. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's okay. Do you think he ages now? That's a, it was going through my mind that, well, is he suddenly going to, you know, is, is 500 years suddenly going to catch up with him and he's going to just turn into a pile of dust or he's going to he be the governor of California. Or, right. <laughs> Good one. Uh, so the idea that he now becomes uh, human and he becomes mortal in some way absolutely did appeal to me in terms of what's next for Munch that he can begin to live a normal life, that he can begin to experience these, these kindnesses and things. And then that if he can sleep, then he can age. Uh, and I, uh, in my head canon, I totally am on board with that future for much that he can begin to live a normal life and then age normally, uh, going forward from here. I think he becomes Uncle Munch. He moves in <laughs> with the lions and uh, he finishes his big meal that night. He goes, a man sleeps. And then he just he just clocks out for like a, a week. He just sleeps for a week. Uh, maybe he becomes Ndira's uh, right hand man on the lion security team. A man protects the lions. <laughs> a man collects debts, right? Yeah. Mm. Oh, so. I like that. Debt, another theme that I yes. wanted to talk about in this. Right. Both well, did, monetary and moral. Can we go back really quick to the can you change who you are? Yeah. And I think this this is a really potent point because Dot changes, right? One of the things that is a what makes a Fargo show a Fargo show is the unwillingness of the protagonists to just admit <laughs> when things aren't going right or mm-hmm. what's really gone on. And, and this has been something I've been aware of, but then I also heard Noah Hawley on an interview with uh, Joanna Robinson on the Presti- on the Ringer Prestige podcast. Really nice interview. He sums up a lot of his thoughts and feelings about the, the season. 
but he points this fact out of one of the main parts of one of the hallmarks of Fargo is that they just won't admit <laughs> to like, <laughs> oh, you know, I did this stupid thing. And, and it's the thing, it's their inability to own up to the truth that starts to cause all of the, the craziness. So if Dodd had just said right from the beginning, yep, this is what happened. You know, I ran away because blah, 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 or, you know, this happened or what happened. None, a, a lot of this would would change would have changed, right? I think Lorraine would have gotten her a bodyguard, a bunch of bodyguards, right? And and that house would have been protected. Lorraine changes, but doesn't change. Sure, um, I think I think I think what we saw with Lorraine is how she treats you when you're in and out of the family. Mm-hmm. Because from the beginning, we're seeing her from the perspective of an outsider. Dot is very much treated as an outsider, right? As someone who is tolerated by the family, but is not a part of the family. Correct. And at the end of the season, she is Lorraine's daughter. Yeah. <laughs> I love the little okie dokie, little too yep, much hugs yep, here, yep. you know. <laughs> but then she gives her a nice little pat, right? Yep. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's, she's like, I'll give you there affection in my way. Just, yeah. she's like a cat. Lorraine's like a cat. She's, she's got to come to you. So, that's a very good, that's a, that's a good analogy. The, um, I mean, she's a lion. Um, the <laughs> idea that, now Indira and Dot are active parts of her life and that Danish is no longer part of her life, will Lorraine experience more change? And will, she, will with a little bit more love and, you know, this idea of women empowerment and uh, family, will that soften her heart? In so, not necessarily soften her heart, but will she operate a little bit differently? And at least in my head canon, I like to think that Indira and Dot are going to start to slowly alter her course that so that she's less predatory and more protector, maybe, mm-hmm. and more of a, you know, a potential force. And, and again, that's just my head canon. That's what I wish for, right? I don't yeah, know what's it's going to happen. So, so you look at But again, this goes back fund. to change, right? Yeah. It, it, this is, goes back yeah, to yeah. change. You look at the prison fund, though. <laughs> that it's a horrible thing it's and it's also thing. a very nice thing right at the yeah. same time yeah. she set up a fund that is going to reduce the debt of these inmates mm-hmm. a lot of them too <laughs> yeah uh everyone on blocks d <laughs> a and b so i don't know what block c d- did to make her mad but uh right <laughs> that 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 one they didn't get it they, they didn't get it out yeah um, yeah, so she's helping out a lot of people. She's also, mm-hmm. I mean, she implied some pretty dark things. I heard Vaseline be mentioned mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not great, but what is great about that moment, what feels like sort of a, a comeuppance for Roy mm-hmm. is that he says at the beginning, oh, the, the strong prey on the weekend here, just like, oh, yeah. just like in the, you know, how it should be in the real world. And she goes, yeah, you're right. They do pray on the week. And now who's the weakling? Yeah. You. Yeah. Um, but again, she's having people do evil things. Yes. To Roy. Like those are evil things, regardless of who the victim is. That's not okay. So this goes into another side tangent about the whole question of justice. Yes. And, and who's and justice law versus for? justice, right? Absolutely. And is is justice embodied in a person or in embodied in a system where mm-hmm. Roy took it upon himself to be justice, to be the hand of God, to be the the biblical man who is bringing order to the world through, you know, his 
you know, okay, really interesting thought here too. You know, we don't we don't have uh, Jesus with a machine gun on the back of a, a pickup truck. We have Jesus who washes the feet of people. Jesus who you know forgives sin. Jesus who feeds the hungry and clothes clothes the poor. So you know, you want to go into the alpha beta? Like th- this is not alpha yeah. Jesus, right? We have a beta Jesus, but yet here we have Roy. You know, being very, I don't even want to do a, a disservice to the Old Testament, but in by calling him Old Testament, because uh, I, because I think that's BS as well, right? There is no, there was always kindness taught in, in exactly a lot of a lot of Jew, Jewish uh, teachings. I think yeah, that, so you know, there's, so there's even this, the whole idea of like you know, leave a portion of your crops to be taken by the poor who can't mm-hmm. feed themselves. Right? Like there's there's all these ideas that people like to ignore when you look at at ancient writings. Absolutely, but yet he's trapping himself in this godliness uh, and taking on justice, embodying justice until where, until wit, he spits on the floor of the church. Do you recall that? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's right. And then he's like, Little scene. he said, I was your servant. Or whatever. You know, I was, <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. You were, well, no, and then you we were have, never anybody's servant until now. No. But then we have Wit, who does, who is the embodiment of the system, and then he pays with his life for that, which is a whole other thing. Sorry, I keep, right. we, keep, I, we keep tripping across all of these major themes. Well, they Why all you bring us back link, right? They all yeah. link. And so can we change who we are? I think Roy has chosen not to change, right? Even in prison, he's mm-hmm. trying to tell you, well, it's the same as it's always been. I'm still in charge. I'm still big dog on campus. Yep. And uh, it's Lorraine who says, well, if you're not going to change, I'll change the scenario for you. Yeah, right. And uh, she makes a Nice tattoo that he fish. got there on his neck. Yeah, I saw that. Oof. I saw that. I was like, is that? And my wife was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, he's, and he's just like, yeah, they they separate the races. It's just like what? <laughs> He's really <laughs> explicit about it at this point. He really is. And again, this is Holly's writing, right? This is what he's doing. He's taking contemporary society and he's bringing, he's putting it front and center in this fantastical setting where there's a 500 year old sin eater. Yeah. You know, well, so, and, and that's that's the different versions of the same person. That's another theme that I wanted to bring up, and like how. Someone like Roy, I think, is, and I don't want to get into politics. I don't want to get into politics, but someone like Roy is a figure that we see in the real world who will be very multi-faced, depending on the crowd that they're talking to. Mm-hmm. Look at a political candidate running in a small town primary, running in a, you know, a national primary with states, and then running in a general election. Than mm-hmm. being president, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's different. It's different things, right? And you have Roy who tries to put out this face of "I'm a man of freedom. I'm I'm a libertarian kind of right. kind of everyone do your own thing. I am justice. Just be be good to each other." And that's that's a very wholesome image he's trying to portray. Then in private, he tries to portray himself as a tough guy, as somebody you don't want to fuck with. Mm-hmm. And then to his enemies, <laughs> right. he's honestly a villain. And he's right. once he's in prison, he's willing to be really explicit about what he believes. Right, right. All, all the trappings are gone. His father-in-law, his uh, <laughs> he's no longer married. You know, children. Mm-hmm. All of it is gone, and he's stripped away. And he, yeah, and he comes out with that that statement of uh, he prefers it in there because it's all yeah. of that stuff has gone away, and he can just be this. Um, yeah beast 
Anyway. He's saying the quiet part out loud, right? That's Absolutely. what we say a lot of the time. Yeah. I think uh, a, a line from his father-in-law really nailed it, what what he was doing there. Are you Hitler in the bunker or Hitler in the Reichstag? Oh, man, that was such a good line. That was such a good line. Such a goading line to him, too. Also, why do you want to be any version of Hitler? That's my question. <laughs> Do you have to be a Hitler? Do I have to choose a Hitler that I'm being at the moment? No. In but in that culture, you know, that's being depicted and in that society that he is within, that is an ideal. Right? That is a narrative structure mm-hmm. for for some the strong to man, the, yeah. the the fascist, right? Like the yeah. the strong fascist leader. Right. So, and I think, you know, you have wit who I mm. think probably honestly you know, we talk a lot about police brutality and how people, you know, police are often very quick to pull out a deadly weapon. Right? right. I think in this situation, I don't think many people would have argued with his no. right no. to use deadly force. And they actually teach in um, law enforcement in your basic law enforcement academy that I believe it's 21 feet. It's either 21 or 28 feet. That if somebody's armed with a knife, they can, by the time that you make the decision to pull, you know, pull the trigger and then actually do that, that person has already closed the distance with you. So that's a, you know, that deadly range. So for you to protect your own life, it's, it's something like 21 mm-hmm. feet. So <laughs> he, he was, was way legally, closer than 21 feet. <laughs> you know, he was legally probably fine there. And so he gave him a lawful, you know, he gave him the order, drop the knife. He did he, he, many times, yeah. many times. And then and when then he stepped he towards him, he wanted justice. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I think where wit went wrong was he then wanted his own idea of justice, which is Roy rotting in a jail cell. Right. Rather than Roy dying right there as a martyr. Yep. And that and, was something I saw on the Fargo subreddit. People uh-huh. talking about how if Roy dies during this fight, he's a martyr for his people. Right. Interesting. Okay. But if he rots in jail. He becomes jail, a legend. Mm-hmm. It, it depends, actually. I thought about this, too. Are you aware of, um, oh, the he's he's a fundamentalist Mormon leader, uh, Warren Jeffs. Warren Jeffs. Are you aware mm, of this guy? No, not currently, no. So this is a guy who ran essentially a pedophilia ring within okay. his own Mormon community. He's an awful, awful man. Uh, he went to prison eventually. He got caught. They They got him. He went on the run. They finally caught up to him. He's in prison, I think, for life, and oh yeah, this he guy is okay. now treated as a messianic figure by uh-huh. his cult. Okay, and he gives instructions to the cult on teachings and you know right. interpretations of the Bible from prison. And so the question is, how do you break the hold of a cult leader over their cult? Mm-hmm. And I think Roy does have a cult here. I right. think by the end of this episode, he doesn't have a cult outside prison anymore. I think he's done. They, they saw him as a weak man by the end of this episode. But it doesn't have to be immediately around him. It, it can be the wider call because we can see martyrdom, you know, other figures concurrently who are being put into martyr, to, you know, martyr positions. Um, and But I think I don't want to go down that road necessarily, but I want to come back around, which is why I'm not justifying or I'm not condoning Dorothy Lyons' Um, you know, manipulating the the prisoners to to uh, exact further. Lorraine revenge. Lyons. I, I was sorry, Lorraine, not, sorry, Dorothy. Not Dorothy. Yeah, Dorothy's Dorothy's doing okay. She's doing. Yeah, yeah. Doing sorry, fine. Lorraine. I apologize. Um, 
that she understands that, that while he's in prison, he can still uh, have an effect on the world. And what she's doing is saying, no, you're not. And I'm going to use all of my tools and power to deny you that so that you're not going to be able to manipulate the system. Right. And that is, this get, This goes back to the question of justice. Is that justice? Right. Not not legal justice, right? But it, but sociological justice? We're stopping the, the bad man? The idea of justice, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's uh, you know, hold up your hand in the sky. Justice. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, all right. I think that's a good note to leave it on before we take a break. Okay. So why don't we do that? We'll come back and we'll keep discussing all these themes. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. And we're back. So I wanted to talk about a couple very quick uh, themes here that we've touched on, but we haven't really gone deep into. So debt. Yeah, Debt yeah. That's as a, a monetary one. and moral concept. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we have debt collection brought up in the first episode and, and remains something talked about through, throughout. We have a point of view of a debtor with Indira. We have a point of view of the collector with, um, you know, the creditor with mm-hmm. uh, Lorraine. And then we and those are just the financial debtor and creditor. You also have Munch, who's obsessed with these moral debts. And right. even, I think, Roy, to an extent, is obsessed with moral debts, right? He's like, you know, he he has this, you know, we the government's coming for us and we got to make sure that they can't take anything from us. That, that I think, is a calculation of debt, right? We're owed our freedom. We are owed the right mm-hmm. to own these firearms and to have our ranch and have nobody bother us and, right. and to kidnap women and be able to treat them however we want. So I, I think that that I think that Holly really wanted to highlight the debt aspect of morality. And to do that, he very cleverly wove in a more literal monetary version of debt. There was I was searching and searching and I couldn't find it. I listened to a podcast, I think. I don't know. It's it's a wash in my head and where I heard this conversation but about systems of debt and structures of debt and the and the role that debt plays in society and how the nature of debt has changed as we've moved into this sort of you know what we call a free market capitalist system uh but i use those quotes lo- loosely uh the idea that you know i might have borrowed my neighbor's snow shovel and so now I owe them a debt. So then they ask me to water their plants when they go on vacation for a couple of weeks, right? So there's there's always this idea that within society and within community we're we're relying on each other. And as long as nobody's over, um, ta- you know, taking too much advantage, we all have a sense that it's going to work out. Oh, I got lunch this time. You get it next time. Yeah. Okay. No problem. Cool. Right. It's mm-hmm. it's it's nice to live in, in that way. 
But then when we collateralize debt and we take debt and we chop it up into tranches and we sell it off and you know we do all these crazy things to it, it changes the nature uh, of that whole system. And I, I can't but help. I, I absolutely think that Holly is is pointing a finger at that system and saying, you know, what what is the debt? I mean, even Wit was saying, you know, you saved my life. I owe you a debt. Right. Mm-hmm. It's but it's not the kind of debt that Lorraine Lyon has made her fortunes on. Right. So we really see the the different kinds of debt, the 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 social connectivity between human beings where we need to um support each other in different ways. And you might be a little bit you need a hand this time and you'll give me a hand next time. Right. That's all right. based on debt. But then when we use financial debt, then you have somebody like Lorraine who Controls the Fed sock, <laughs> you know, who can call up yeah. the, uh, yeah. what was the, the bank regulator, you know, secretary of, of whatever, you mm-hmm. know, and, and can wield power in, in a way that is completely outsized, uh, the position of one person. Right. And, and use that and uses that actually to, uh, manipulate Indira. Right. Right. And even Indira. It's interesting because I almost think that Lorraine, because she admires Indira, is trying to keep Indira there as a check for her, which is why she doesn't want her knowing about (laughs) the bad stuff, because she doesn't want Indira to be weighed down with that and then be unable to be the check anymore. Right, right. (laughs) And she has principles. Yeah. Right? She, She joined the police department because she believed in something. Um, sure, the you know the benefits might have been good, and she needed a job because she had a deadbeat husband. Um, but the idea that she believes in something, in, in the sense of justice and the sense of the law, the same as wit, uh, you know that I, Lorraine didn't want to, um, I guess, uh, corrupt that too far. Right. I guess I don't know. That, that's a supposition. Well, because you get the sense that Danish graves. I don't want to say he encouraged her worst impulses, but he certainly didn't curb them. No, he absolutely extended those mm-hmm. and enabled those. Right. Absolutely. And he, as her as her lawyer, as her agent, said, whatever you ask me to do, I'm there for. You know, I'm not then, gonna I'm not gonna question the morality of it. And when he died, it was when he he went too far, when he took it under his own authority to do something that he didn't tell Lorraine about. Yep. That he was going to try to solve the situa- situation on itself and be a hero in that regard. But the moment he went too far, he stepped out of her protection and uh, and miscalculated the situation quite badly. Yeah. So, and, you know, you had him trying to really pull the macho man thing on Roy, mm-hmm. right? Yep. He yep. really tried to go like, oh, it's all over. You're You're done for. And Roy actually had a pretty good comeback. <laughs> if you're so smart, why are you so dead? Brilliant. Absolutely Honestly, brilliant. A, an extremely well-written line, yeah. if spooky. Yeah. I want to shout out something, too, on the on the debt thing. I just listened to a, a podcast, which I did remember, and I have here in front of me. There is a podcast called The Gray Area with Sean Illing. On, uh, it's a Vox Media podcast. And he just did an interview with Elizabeth Anderson, who's a professor of public philosophy at University of Michigan. 
And she has a whole book and a body of work that she was talking about around how the idea of the quote unquote Protestant work ethic has sort of taken over our modern sensibilities of work. And then this goes into the whole question of debt as well. But the idea that uh, the way that we value human beings is determined by how hard we work and how much money we make. And it's a really fascinating look at this idea and, and how that permeates and structures our society and actually blinds us to being able to see other possibilities where, well, maybe I have a business that's not exploitative, that's not trying to make the maximum dollar, mm-hmm. that is uh, existing to provide a good living to people, provide a good service or, or goods, you know, uh, goods or services to the marketplace that have a beneficial impact for people, not even like fluffy bunny positive stuff, just like, oh, here's a really useful widget that will make your life a little bit easier. You know, that's great. Why does that have to be a company that's going to go public and, you know, uh, corner the stock market? And why do I have to drive my competitors out of business? Well, I mean, if I could just compare something else there. What about the post office? Think mm-hmm. about the way we talk about the post office and other government services anymore. Right. Why do we ever talk about is the post office making a profit? Right. That comes up in budget discussions all the Absolutely. time. Absolutely. The post office exists because we have to mail letters, not not because we're trying to make money for the government. That's what taxes are for. The post office exists as a service. Nobody asks if the fire department made any money this year. It's mm-hmm. it's like these are essential services we need. And so I, I think you're right. I think that there's this weird obsession with like everything needs to be made for maximal profit and maximum, 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 supersize it, you know? Right. Um, that we stopped it with fast food, but not with, uh, <laughs> not <laughs> with it, anything it, else. It goes into this idea of, of debt and we put ourselves into debt because we're pursuing something. We're pursuing this illusion that if I have means, if I have status, if I have all of this the trappings of uh, of wealth that that gets me somewhere or gets me something, and uh, so when we can collateralize that, then we can turn human beings into numbers on a spreadsheet, and we stop relating them to as human beings, and then that's where we end up with a you know a much bigger set of problems which we're dealing yep. with. So, yep. Anyway, Fun. great great podcast. It's called A Pro Worker Ethic, The Gray Area with Sean Illing on Vox Media. Mm. Oh, and that's the same one that Noah Hawley did an interview on, right? Yes, he about did quite a, quite a while ago, uh, just about in, in, in general, because Noah Hawley's been talking about narrative structures of the hero and the frontiersman and um, uh, gun violence in our culture. And that's one of his, his, his book that he published a while ago, which I'm blanking the name on right now, American Anthem, I think, or just Anthem. I think it's called Anthem. Okay. Which is a really, it, it's like a Fargo episode in a book in a lot of ways. And mm. I had to kind of put it down because it was, as a parent, I was really disturbed by the mirror that he was holding up to me uh, mm. and, you know, seeing, you know, what's going on in our culture. So, and again, this is why I think Holly is a really interesting person that has my attention is because yeah. he's, he's engaging in the cultural conversation in, by using entertainment to, um, illuminate and examine these, these really, uh, fundamental questions about 
who are we as a society and how are we living? Yeah, you know, I, I think back to our second age podcast back in the yes. day where we talk about Tolkien and he he had said to C.S. Lewis, you know, fiction is not just a bunch of lies. It is the way that we talk about truths about, you know, the human experience. You know? mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I don't remember how he phrased it, but he basically said, you know, these are how we tell truths about being alive, mm-hmm. about the world. Right. And I think that that's that's right. And I think that the best media does that. And that's interesting because when I was in my younger days reading more, <laughs> before the internet days, I, I did. I was one of those people who I, I really prefer reading fiction because I learn more about the world, even if it's science fiction or fantasy or uh, even even contemporary. But the examination of the real world through the fictional lens is what interested me at that time, interested me a lot more. I felt that I could understand the world and analyze the world more effectively than by reading a nonfiction book, which just felt very dry to me and and uninspiring. I'm like, oh, okay, you know. Well, I agree with you. I think that fiction and especially fantasy and science fiction are really excellent at examining interpersonal relationships at examining emotional truths in a way that it sometimes is difficult to do in more, I want to say realistic fiction, but mm-hmm. even though it's, you know, again, it's all fiction. It's all, it's all fake. But I think that when you tether it to a real life experience, something that's possible in the real world, sometimes you get caught up in the factual and it, and, and I think that science fiction and fantasy and introducing fantasy elements, even into a, a mostly grounded show like this, like introducing Munch into this, yeah, help you right. distill those mm-hmm. themes. And that's why it's really brilliant to have that subtle supernatural element right? in this. Right. Because Munch is sort of the cherry on top, right? Mm-hmm. The whole season is teaching you these lessons and, t- and exposing these truths through Dot, through Roy, through Gator. But it's Munch at the end who really says like, okay, if you missed it the first five times, here's the big giant grin on my face. Mm -hmm. And I think that goes right into ending the cycle of violence. Right. Which is is tied very closely to revenge and forgiveness. So I want to just sort of link those together here. And And those are my, my last two themes I wanted to talk about. If we can also add on there, not only the cycle of violence, but the cycle of violence towards women and the way that (laughs) the violence that we inflict upon women. And we're dealing with that in, in true, in um, true detective night country right now. And we were in all of the, a lot of the seasons have have dealt with that, but you know, head on in, in this season, but here as well, it's a, it's just such a, an ugly and intractable problem. And it, it kind of stops me in, the tracks of like, how do we talk about it? How do we, how do we confront it? How do we face it? And how do we bring, mm-hmm. how do we break this silence? I mean, cycle, because right. in some cases the biscuit isn't going to do it to an abuser, right? A no, biscuit, no. a biscuit to, to Roy Tillman is going to get you. Uh, He's going to shoot right through the biscuit. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think you're right there. And, and Dot is someone who never asked for any of this, right? She was, she was caught as a child. Mm-hmm. And she was groomed as a child 
to be with Roy Tillman and to be abused right. by Roy Tillman. And she finally escaped it. And she, by happenstance, ended up in a police database. And all of a sudden, her abuser came back and wouldn't leave her alone, even though she hasn't tried to contact him in 10 years. It's not like it's not like she even went to the police about him or maybe she mm-hmm. did. I don't know, because they have the photos of her. But you know what I mean? It's it's not like he ever even faced consequences for what for her leaving and what he did to her. Mm-hmm. And yet he just won't leave her alone. And he hired Munch and she makes this point to Munch, too. And I'm glad she made this point, because for you know, for some of it, she was just trying to appeal to his logic of, well, it's a debt, right? And she was trying to say, well, it's, mm, it's not a debt or you can right. just forgive it. Like, maybe I do owe you a debt, but but you should forgive it. But she also says the correct thing, which is you took a job. Yeah. You understood the risk. Yeah. Just yeah. because you lost on that job doesn't make it my fault. Doesn't you don't. Uh, I was the object of your job. I wasn't the one who commissioned you. Right. I wasn't the one who double crossed you multiple times. Right. Right. So yeah, I defended myself. Therefore, yeah, it was a really good mm-hmm. piece of logic. I, th- I thought it was a really great way for yeah. her to redress the the overall question. But that again goes into law versus justice, right? Because that's yeah, because that's absolutely the right. law says yeah, sure, she's legally fine. That was self defense. Mm-hmm. But justice in Munch's eyes, who gets to define justice again, mm, is good point. You took my ear, you took yeah. my friend. I take something equivalent of yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And his grievance here, or his his what he's bringing forward here, is not actually in the balance of scales of uh, you owe me, you know, five dollars or whatever, two dollars. Um, you owe, you hurt me. Therefore I need to hurt you back to balance the scales. Mm -hmm. And she said, no. Yeah. Have a, have a biscuit. Right. And that one little step, I mean, it wasn't one little step. They were, the whole family was working on him, right? Whether they do it or not. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) They They were all, they were all in on it, but they, but I think Dot was the only one who realized what was happening. Yeah, but then they they she had to sort of um, break down. Well, all of them did, but they sort of had to break down all of his logical barriers and the the screen of belief and tradition and and all of these ideas that he's built up over his five hundred years, and to had to sort of break each one of those one by one until there was nothing left but two people sitting across from each other and actually sharing what is fundamental about our existence. Yeah. And, and this sense that <laughs> we're alone in these bags of meat, right? And we're seeking connection. And once you get all that other stuff out of the way and you can find a, a, a very simple common shared thing, which is, to eat something that's been cooked with joy and love. Right? That extraordinary, mm-hmm. absolutely extraordinary moment. Sorry, I'm getting a little emotional here. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get it. And she really did end that cycle of violence through love. And that's, that's you know, I, I've talked about, you know, taking classes on patriarchy and feminism and how, right. how, how the world works with that. And 
I, I did hear one time that, you know, we, we talked about violence and how, how rampant it is in prisons and things like that and, and shame and guilt and, and all of these issues that arise out of patriarchy. And somebody actually asked the question, what's the answer? And the person said, it's love. It's, it's being there for your fellow human mm-hmm. and, and not, right. uh, not continuing that cycle, not escalating. And I think Noah Hawley really, really nailed that here. Not trying to dominate or to get something from the transaction, mm-hmm. uh, not having some other ulterior motive, but just recognizing that the other person over there is 99.9% of everything that you're feeling, they're also feeling in their well, emotional I mean, state. Taking you know advantage I mean? of people, I will say, Wayne with the Kia sales over there, <laughs> it's like driving a cloud. <laughs> that was hilarious. Do you know do you know about like the Kia? like theft issue in the country right now no no. apparently kias and i think some other cars have a locking mechanism that is extremely easy to break and and like a key mechanism that's really easy to to okay like hack right and people are just stealing kias all over the place Okay. And I wonder if that's part of why they used Kia. <laughs> that's why they used Kia. That or is it just a paid ad the whole time? Mm, mm. I don't or know. just a, a, an, an innocuous car. It's not a Ford F-150. You know, it's not sure, a Chevy sure. Silverado. A Kia is like my first car was a Kia. Like, mm. And it was a great car. I'm Listen, Kia, if you're listening. <laughs> Sponsor. It's, it's fine. Well, no, I'm not saying that, but I, <laughs> I, I'm saying, uh, you know, I, I have no problems with Kias, but I, I did wonder if the recent uptick in Kia theft had to do. Oh, with that's a nice Wayne. little Easter egg that he put in there. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. Very good. I don't know, and and I want to talk about too before we go. I know we're mm-hmm. we're running out of out of time here, but yeah. Dot. The two things I noticed about her in the last episode. She is completely out in the open on what happened now but yep. she kept mm-hmm. her she minnesota changed. nice accent mm, good point so good on point. the question so of she settled into change who we are yeah she has changed who she is and she's not nadine she is dorothy mm-hmm. and she's comfortable like that and she doesn't mm. feel like it's an act she Beautiful. feels like that's who she is now yep and and that accent is that it's not a put on anymore right yeah nice the one. other thing was did you notice that she told Indira, or I guess Indira brought it up, I think, that there's ads now where Dot is with oh, right. Wayne mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. Kia dealership. So I think part of that is just to show us that she's not oh, afraid yeah. to be seen anymore. That's right. Yeah, that's a really good point. It, I took it as so natural and, and sort of like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But I didn't actually think that back into the story structure that that's, Cause, she's Yeah, because you now. know that she was always like, no, I don't want to be on the mm-hmm. ads. I don't want to be on the ads because yep. she doesn't want to be seen. She doesn't want anyone to be driving on a billboard, driving on the highway and see a billboard with her and say, hey, Roy, you got to see this. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah, but um, I think that and also the fact that she's taking some agency in their life, right? She's been... She's been a housewife for and a, and a stay at home mother. Yeah, so she's taking and on a fuller role. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's a full time job to be a homemaker. Uh, but I think the point is, she's she's saying, you know, I want to do something new, and that's mm-hmm. that's great to see because she, I think she needs something to distract her from the trauma she has been through over the last uh, year. Yeah, and I think I think you also notice too. I know this from. As as our child is getting older and has more agency, there's a, there's a less 
a lessening of the demands on, on right, right. you know, managing the, the domestic affairs, which is a lot of work. I've right. done like, a lot of like that. eventually <laughs> they want you to leave them alone, right? Uh, right, they do. Know, yes, my they, they my do. I remember being a teenager. My mom would be like, "You want to go to the store with me? No, no, yeah, I'm I playing Xbox. Here. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I I have you know one and a three year old. I go I I go to take a bathroom break from work when I work from home, and she goes, "Want to dance, Dad?" And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> cute. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was the a flex parent. Uh, my spouse had the more nine to five traditional, you know, work for something. And, and I was, you know, doing sort of some freelancing and, and my own business. And, but that made me available for being the primary parent, you know, with the stroller and the diapers and, you know, moving around the city and, and organizing things. And it's a bloody lot of work. And it I wasn't sure even is. cooking or cleaning as much, right? Um, uh, my wife enjoys cooking. That's like w- one of the ways that she restores herself at the end of the day. And, um, but still, it's just it's a lot. It's a lot, a lot. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But anyway, they're, so they're, so Dorothy's moving on to insane, a new. But yes, yeah, yes. But Dorothy's but moving to a new phase. Scotty, yeah. who is very self sufficient, you can tell. Like she wants to hang out with her mom. Still, she's still in that phase. But it's it's she wants to. She doesn't need to. Yeah, exactly. One, um, I don't have any other big things I want to touch on, other than I just wanted to call out. There was a very beautiful visual scene at the end, near the end, where Gator is sitting under a tree in the fog, and the uh, the allusion to Oedipus was brought up in, as one of the mm. uh, archetypes behind there. And I was like, oh, I wish I'd, I I'm so not up on Oedipus and how that could have played into the story, but I just had to call out that shot because of this blind man with this bloody rag tied around his you know face in this foggy misty scene with this ancient well, tree. Oedipus kills his father doesn't he yeah but then he, he realizes he slept with his mother right and he kills his father and then he calls his own eyes out yeah so it's the whole blind man thing right and and uh that so but uh, you know what else is there I'm, I'm not sure uh the visual though was just absolutely gorgeous yeah very cool well, David, it's been a pleasure talking about this season with you. I could talk about it for probably several hours, but I think we hit all of the major things we had yep. to talk about. And hopefully, if there's a season six of Fargo, which I hope there is genuinely, I hope that it comes out in a time where we can actually cover it. Because yes, I think this has to be a day one cover for us Absolutely. On the next season. Absolutely. Would you like to tell the lovely people at home what we're doing next? Sure. Should we start with our programming schedule a little bit? Absolutely. We are covering True Detective episode to episode. We are fortunate enough to have access to the press screeners. And so we're able to get our podcasts, our episode breakdowns published right after the episode airs on at 10 p.m. Eastern time. So we're going to be covering that week to week. It's six episode run. We just recorded our second episode and uh, we're... So far, enjoying the show. I'm going to go watch episode three right after we get done with this uh, this podcast. Nice. For Marvel fans, we just did uh, some podcasts on What If Season 2 and Echo. Uh, that was a lot of fun with Jean and Alicia. And we're going to probably be coming up on Madam Web. We'll probably do one podcast where we do a little review and context stuff, and then we'll review the movie. 
You and Brandon are going to be covering uh, Final Fantasy VII for the Lorehounds Play podcast, mm-hmm. which is where we do all our video game coverage. And that should be coming out in February, I believe. Yeah, I think we're going to do it first week or two of February. And that way, for Leap Day, when the new game comes out, it'll already be in okay. your feed. Very good. For our Star Wars Film Festival, we are up to Rogue One is the next movie, which I think is a pretty exciting and popular title uh, among a lot of our listeners. So we will have done a live watch by the time this podcast probably comes out, uh, or it'll be right around the same time. And then Mm -hmm. we'll release our podcast uh, about a week later on that. And then I've got a special surprise for you. We'll talk about it later. We'll tease it. We'll tease it when we do the Rogue One podcast, but I've got a very cool interview lined up for us uh, following that in the next month. Cool. We're continuing on our journey in Earthsea and that next podcast will be out in February. And for that podcast, we're going to read the short story called Dragonfly. And then we're going to begin reading the fifth book in the series, The Other Wind. And uh, I'm not sure how Marilyn is going to have us structure that, but we're probably going to chunk the other wind up in a couple of sections. So at least read Dragonfly and the the first opening chapters of the other wind. If you can't, if you can restrain yourself and not read all the way through. I mean, I I know a lot of people just end up reading the whole thing and wait for us to catch up on the podcast. So (laughs) Uh, Silmarillion story, we're going to be covering of men. That should be a really interesting men of men. Uh, We're going to talk about Roy and. Yes, all of that stuff. Roy and Gator. We are eyeballing a number of different shows after uh, True Detective ends. We're waiting on a number of shows. We have Severance in the Wings. We're going to be doing a four-way coverage uh, of that with Steve and Anthony from Properly Howard Movie Review. We're just waiting a, for a release date for season two. We Steve and Anthony did a full season one podcast rewatch. That is all available in the show notes for the for this episode, you will find a link for the Severance feed. We set up a whole separate feed for that so that we could manage that project a little bit differently. So go subscribe to that. You know, if you're doing a rewatch of season one, all of those episodes are ready for you there. In the meantime, we're sort of waiting on House of the Dragon, Rings of Power, The Boys, The Acolyte. Those are all day one coverage um, shows. And then we're looking at a number of other things. So we'll, as we confirm things we'll we'll make announcements in the programming notes of future podcasts john do you want to talk a little bit about uh the patreon uh the patreon we've got a patreon uh, you can get on on it for as little as three bucks a month you could also get a free trial you do annual memberships we're, we're we're really flexible you know we yeah we keep it cool over here we're we're not roy tillman with his rigid <laughs> rules on his ranch or, we or, keep uh, it nice and easygoing, just like the Lion household. Exactly. But our top tier patrons, they get a shout out every episode. And they are Samartian, Mark H., Michael G., Michelle E., David W., Brian P., Nick W., SC, Peter O.H., Bettina W., Adam S., Nancy M., Duve71, Brian8063, who's a Discord Dunedine. Uh, Dunedan, sorry. I, mean, I have to use a singular for that. <laughs> One of the Discord Dunedine. Uh, Frederick H, Sarah L, Gareth C, Eric F, Matthew M, Sarah M, DJ Miwa, Andra B, Kwang Yu, Deadeye Jedi, Bob, Nathan T, Alex V, Aaron T, Sub-Zero, Aaron K, also a Dunedin, Dally V21, Gnarls, and Adrian, who's last. I'm going to say the reason I said Gnarls so weirdly 
is that Gnarls specifically asked that each time <laughs> their name is read, we say it as a question. Welcome. So Gnarls. I think we should have a contest of who can get their voice higher and make the Gnarls? question mark more audible. Okay. <laughs> when we read these, we can lists. play with it. We're, we're going to play. Yeah, we're going to emphasize it. We're going to put different <laughs> emphasis, different syllable, syllabic <laughs> emphasis. Yeah, there you go. I love it. There you go. Good stuff. Well, thanks, Gnarls, for joining up. Thanks, Gnarls. So you yeah. too can be a patron and enjoy live watches like Rogue One. You too could enjoy early and ad-free access. All the all the good stuff. Second breakfast, Shireside chats, exclusive content. Can I plug something about the you. show? The show tracker. The yeah, do, plug the show tracker. So we've got this big database that we uh, manage and maintain that tracks all we, the different shows. We, you hmm? do it. We, <laughs> me. I, I don't. I'm not singular. I, we do it together. In a You're way, a plural person. Uh yeah, I'm. I'm you I use contain, the royal we. In I contain multitudes. <laughs> I contain multitudes. Your uh, your empire from foundation. Mm, that's right. There you go. I like that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, there's a big show tracker. It uh, we try to collect up uh, all the different show titles and collect all the information. It's kind of this database thing. You can look on the page. You can see all the really basic information: how many episodes, how long it's airing. There's links to IMDb and all these other things. Anyways, I was. On the Discord today, and Sub Zero mentioned something. He said that he had finally, uh, they had finally gotten into it, and, and were really marveling at it. And then suggested something that then sparked an idea for me, and, and we kind of worked this out. We can actually, the way I can configure a different views of the show tracker is I can actually do it in a timeline fashion that's actually organized by the streaming platform. And the idea that Sub-Zero had was, if you could look at it that way, you could actually plan out your subscription schedules. Okay, there's three shows on this subscribe on this platform that I want, and they're all coming out at the same time. So I'll subscribe for them and binge watch a couple other things, and then I can cancel it, and I can go to the other one and another one. So you can actually look what's coming out on the different streaming platforms by time so that you can figure out when you want to manage your subscriptions. If you, you know, if that's the the thing you do, because I know some people are always churning their, their subscriptions. So I thought it was a really novel and interesting thing. So there you go. Real benefit for being a Patreon member. You get access to that. Cool. Yeah. Well, David, we've got plenty of stuff going on. I think people can check out the lorehounds.com if they want more info for now. We will see you on the next podcast. Ciao. The Lorehounds podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions and feedback and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all Lorehounds podcasts at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told. 
following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>